0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 14, verses 6 through 12. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, "'Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist.'" The king was distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted, and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in the plat in a. I'm sorry, on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then Jesus. Then it. <laughs> then they went and told. Jesus, This is the word of the Lord for us.
1: Well, I don't need to tell you, but the price of just about everything is on the rise in our nation. And with the rising of the prices of virtually everything, companies are looking for creative ways to keep their bottom line healthy. And so the current trend is to reduce the quantity of of any really given good, reduce the quantity of but keep the price the same. The, the phenomenon, maybe you've heard of this, but it's called shrinkflation. Shrinkflation. You can read articles about this. An example would be... I feel bad calling out certain companies, but these are, these are biggies that, uh, that they're easy to see that, that I've noticed and read about. But uh, Gain Detergent. What they've done is they kept the exact same bottle, the exact same bottle, with the, the green color and all that, at the exact same price but they've just reduced the amount of liquid detergent that they're putting inside that bottle. It, it was 165 fluid ounces, or liquid ounces, and now it's 154. So nine ounces less, same bottle, same packaging, same price. Uh, Gatorade is another example. They redesigned the bottle, of course, but what used to be the 32-ounce bottle of Gatorade at the same price point is now a 28-ounce bottle of that drink. Even Doritos, confirmed, admitted to, they are now putting fewer chips inside the same bag of Doritos at the same price point. Yes, those, those tasty nacho tortilla chips, you're getting fewer of. It's called shrinkflation, and it's a way of sort of masking inflation. And it's common among food and beverages or, like, disposable products, um, garbage bags and things like that. If you begin to look closely, you will see... There are fewer of them in the products that you've been buying all these years. It doesn't always go unnoticed, of course. Uh, there, there's a great example. Uh, this one made me laugh as I read about uh, Toblerone chocolate bars. You know those? They have, the, they have the unique design with the peaks. They actually faced legal action <laughs> because they created more space between those little chocolate mountains in their, uh, in their treat. Uh, and so... The PR was so bad on that, they went back to the original design. Like, okay, the people have spoken, we're facing legal action, you have, the, you don't have the larger space between the peaks in your chocolate bar. <laughs> you know, for some people, you really look at the cost of something before you buy it. Anybody, anybody in here like that? Um, you're maybe at the store, and you're analyzing, and oh my goodness, how helpful when you go into the store, and they actually have the... Price per ounce or price it's like they've already calculated that for me. I don't have to pull out my phone in the calculator app anymore. It's like, okay, this one is a better value. So so some of you are raising your hand, others I can tell are wanting to, but you just don't want to raise your hand because you're not much of a hand raiser. But you know who you are. <laughs> you count the cost and you calculate out even those fractions of cents because you want the best deal. So today, that's what we're talking about. Counting the cost. No, not about the potato chips or The gain detergent or anything like that the cost of following jesus The cost of following jesus Because listen when we say yes to christ To his lordship in our lives. It means we're all in for his kingdom. Whatever the cost Whatever the cost even if that means our very life So that's what we're going to talk about together this morning Let me introduce myself. I'm John. I serve as lead pastor here at MCA. Thrilled that you are with us today. I am seeing some faces here that I haven't seen in months. So snowbirds know how to fly back north, and I'm so thankful. We are glad you're here with us. Welcome back. It's so good to be together. Some are still uh, tuning in online and joining us that way. But I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So as Josh mentioned a few minutes ago, We have been doing a study in the life of John the Baptist, and so we are actually completing that study today. Uh, The final week in the life of John the Baptist. Spoiler alert, he dies. (laughs) You you heard it. Uh, Jeremy just read the passage for us. Uh, If you want to open your Bible uh, to Matthew chapter 14, you can have that there in front of you. Uh, And we're not going to do expositional teaching through Matthew 14 today, uh, but I'll do more of a paraphrase as we walk through that. Uh, But... In a nutshell, as we come to this final week in the life of John the Baptist, he loses his life. He pays the ultimate price for the sake of the gospel. He shows us, in a very uh, graphic and, and dramatic way, the cost of discipleship. He shows us that living for Christ does indeed mean a sacrifice. And through his example, we have this great encouragement. Stay steadfast stay strong No matter what the difficulty no matter what you're facing So really we're kind of picking up where we left off last week if you were here with us last sunday, you know, we talked about uh, john in prison and he's doubting and wondering he sends some of his men to talk with christ Are you really the one so we're really picking up right where we left off? We touched on this briefly last week that john has been in prison for speaking out against Uh, The king or the the leader of the area Herod Um, We know that john's been faithful He has he has prepared the way for christ. He has pointed others to jesus He has accomplished the mission that god gave to him. He has stood up for god's righteousness He stood against hypocrisy and sinfulness. He called people to repentance and he called them to be baptized And if you're a follower of jesus And if you're part of our church family, and you haven't taken that step of baptism, entering the waters to to publicly uh, declare your faith, I want to challenge you with that today. Be baptized. Walk in obedience to what the Lord has for you. If you have questions about that, if you have reasons or or concerns about that, come and talk with me. I would love to shepherd you and walk with you through that process. But we want to see people growing in Christ, and we want to see people taking that step in their faith journey. That was part of the ministry of John the Baptist. But he then tended to push people's buttons. And in this story, in this case, we see uh, in the case of Herod and Herodias, he pushed their buttons and maybe went a little too far because uh, they pushed back. (laughs) So uh, Herod Antipas married Herodias. This was his brother's wife. John confronted him. About it he told him it was wrong. He was preaching against them. You get the sense that he Mentioned it to them to their faces when he had opportunity And he also preached against it publicly saying that that what they were doing was wrong calling it sin And so as you might expect this couple was not very happy about this So they throw him in jail and then the scriptures tell us that they're looking for Herod is looking for an opportunity to kill john Now, if you're John, you probably expect some persecution. You you don't wear the strange clothes and preach such bold messages without expecting a few people to be rubbed the wrong way. But see, John was a man of courage. And I wonder, too, about this very public sin that was happening. So this Herod would have been a household name that everyone knew. Think President of the United States of America or at least governor of Ohio right like that, like he's the man everyone knows him so so this marriage that was wrong everyone knows about so you have to think as we consider this story how many other leaders were there in the community religious leaders spiritual leaders how many other people of influence who had a voice who had a platform just went silent on this issue they, they didn't speak into they didn't speak truth to power In this case, they didn't speak into the situation, calling it sin. They just went silent. It kind of reminds me of the children's story, the emperor's new clothes, which you're probably all familiar with. And everyone is just afraid to say that the king's wearing nothing but his underpants. (laughs) They're just not going to say it. Why? Because they're afraid of the king. So they're not going to say it until one small child just calls it out. And John was that voice. Who was willing to call it out? And he spoke boldly and he spoke without fear of consequences. So, the story that we have there, uh, and it starts in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 14, is Herod's birthday party. You know, he's the man of the hour, it's all about him. All of his friends have gathered, it's probably the biggest event of the year. Herodias' daughter does a dance, and Herod is so pleased that he says he'll give her, he vows on an oath, he'll give her anything. She asks. And so I'll keep it PG for us this morning. (laughs) Uh, But in this very gruesome scene, uh, she goes to her mom and her mom guides her and tells her, you should ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And John meets his end. So as we consider this story, as we consider the end now, we're like, okay, we we walked through, uh, week one, by the way, was uh, the miraculous pregnancy of elizabeth which was john's mother so we've now seen him from conception to death all the way through john was willing to lay down his life he was willing to walk through paying the ultimate sacrifice why because he had already made that decision that he was submitted to the lordship of jesus That's revealed in the way he taught and the way he lived and the things he said. Like when John said, he must become greater and I must become less. So you see, that was John's heart attitude. He had made that decision. The reason he was willing to lay down his life, the reason his head was served up on a platter was because he made that choice. I'm going to become less and he's going to become more. I I think that's one of the greatest lessons we can learn from John. This sort of humility. Humility. That says, it's all about Jesus. And if my life can somehow point to him, awesome. And if that means my whole life poured out, even to the point of death, so be it. He humbled himself. It's like the time, and I think I've shared this story before, but there was this famous politician touring the nursing home. And he's got this whole entourage, and he's got media, and it's a, of course, it's a photo opportunity with him, you know, serving or blessing or whatever. And he is going down the hallway, and there's this elderly gentleman just very slowly plodding along the hallway. And the politician sees it as an opportunity to engage him. He shakes the man's hand, probably a little too hard, and he says, Do you know who I am? And the man kind of looks at him. He's got a bit of a blank stare. And then he says, No, I don't. But if you ask the nurses, I'm pretty sure they can tell you who you are. Man, John was just this humble guy. It it wasn't about, do you know who I am? It was about, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That his disciples were no longer his disciples, but they became Jesus' disciples. In fact, you see there in verse 12 that in his death, it's yet another opportunity for people to go to Jesus. It says then, his men went to Jesus. They wanted to tell Jesus and talk to Jesus. That's what his whole life was about. He was a humble servant. His whole goal was to point others to Jesus. Isn't it amazing that even in his sacrificial death, he's pointing to Jesus? Because it's a foreshadowing. The the man who would lay down his life for another, it's a foreshadowing of the death that will happen very shortly thereafter of his savior, of his cousin, of the one that he was pointing the way to all along, Jesus, as he went to the cross. Now, I want to be careful there because the death of Jesus and the sacrifice he made is way more important than the sacrifice that John made. I think it's amazing that even in John's death, he was pointing to Jesus, but the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross will never be matched or paralleled. His death means eternal life once and for all. For everyone who believes do you believe that That it's only the death of jesus that it's only his innocent blood that was shed That means hope and redemption for those who claim it So the reality is that for followers of jesus we too must be willing to make great sacrifices for the cause of christ That our obedience to the lord means a willingness to suffer For the sake of christ it's what we call the cost of discipleship. Just ask John the Baptist about that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book by the title of The Cost of Discipleship, and in it he said, says, When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. So if you're here this morning and you're intrigued by this idea, what I want to do with the rest of our time together is talk through how would we then live out this life of discipleship sacrifice, this life of discipleship, a willingness to say, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever the cost, Lord, I'm willing to follow. And so we'll see what John did and how we might do the same. The first is to make no compromise. No compromises. Again, here's John the Baptist, and he sees Herod, and he sees Herod's sin, and he's probably among a group of many other leaders and influencers who see it exactly for what it is, that it's wrong. And he could have said, well, I kind of want to save my neck I want to kind of live another day You know, I could be more used to the lord if i'm alive than dead and silenced himself But he did not make the compromise He spoke up. He raised his voice. He did not back down from herod again This guy came in the spirit and power of elijah We studied elijah. I think it was just last year Who boldly proclaimed the truth to power no matter what would come his way? In fact, to nerd out just a little bit, the tense that's used here in the Greek when it says that John was speaking against, preaching against Herod and Herodias, it leads us to believe this was not a one-time thing. So if we look at the tense used, it's not like he just mentioned it to him one time and then zipped his lip. No, it leads us to believe that he told him and kept on telling him. He kept on, continued telling him. See, John was not going to compromise the truth in order to avoid persecution. And throughout history, the heads of godly people have rolled when they refused to compromise. How about you? Will you stand your ground? Will you stand up for Christ, even if your life is on the line? Will you honor God? Or will you fold? Or will you say, no one else seems to be responding, no one else seems to be saying anything, I'll just fall in line. Stand your ground, honor God, even in the face of impending threat, and say, come what may, I will not compromise. If you know God wants you to say something, say it. Don't cover up the truth. Don't shy away from speaking it for the sake of your own comfort or to avoid the difficult consequences. And some of us go, boy, that sounds really courageous. I don't know if I'm a John the Baptist type. That's probably how most of us feel. Well, we ask the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to give us wisdom and discernment, and to ultimately be courageous. It reminds me of a story I heard about a a final uh, that happened, this was a a course in philosophy at UCLA. This is a true story. The, The final was an essay, and it was comprised of one question, and the question was, what is courage? And so a whole classroom full of students began scribbling and writing and frantically filling out pages and giving examples and expounding on theories and citing sources, but one student very quickly Wrote down two words and turned in his essay. So it was. It was what is courage, and the student responded with two words, and it was this is. And I'm very happy to announce that that student got an A. <laughs> uh, I love it. Be courageous. Be like John the Baptist. Don't make compromises. Another characteristic that we want to strive for is to live with conviction. That we want to follow Jesus and we want to hold fast to his word. I also realize as we talk about convictions, we don't all share the exact same convictions and that's okay. But you know what we all do have in common? We respect people who stick to their convictions. Hacksaw Ridge is a film that tells the story of Desmond Doss. This was a guy who was a conscientious objector, and he wanted to serve his country during World War II. So Doss says he refuses to touch a gun. He says, my conviction is that I'm not going to kill. And he's in the Army, and maybe you've seen this film. It's a Mel Gibson film, a pretty hard R because of the graphic uh, violence. At first... His army comrades and his commanding officer, they just want to make his life so miserable that he's going to quit and give up altogether. Like, we do not want you. There is no place for you here. So they mock him. They bully him. But he just endures. He endures the persecution, and he ends up making a huge impact. He goes with his company into the war zone. And, and He's serving as a medic. He's a, he's a non he has a non-combatant status. So there was a law passed in the 1940s that allowed for conscientious objectors to serve, uh, but in non-combatant roles. So he had he had the legal uh, ramifications of the law backing him. Even though they picked on him and tried to get him to quit, they made life miserable, he endured, he stuck it out. So he has non-combatant status and he's serving as a medic. He's in a war zone where Doss single-handedly rescues wounded soldiers while under heavy gunfire explosions. He ended up saving 75 men in a single battle within a 12-hour period. He saved 75 men, including his commanding officer, his captain. He was awarded the Medal of Honor by President Harry Truman. He was a man of conviction. The people that he served with, they didn't share his conviction. But they respected him. Because he lived his conviction. He endured the persecution. He said, I don't care what names you call me. He reached the point where I was like, yeah, I'm not going to hit you back. So you can strike me because I'm, I'm just the punching bag at this point. And all of a sudden, it wasn't fun anymore. Live by your convictions. What you know to be true for your life, what God has called you to live out in your calling, in your purpose, as revealed in the scriptures, live it out. Don't deviate from it. I love this story, by the way. I mean, it's like you don't hear of very many war heroes who are conscientious objectors. And yet, I think it highlights perfectly a man who was willing to live by his convictions in the way God used him in powerful ways. Okay, final way that we choose to serve Christ, to live a life of sacrifice, is to count the cost. And in the kingdom... And in the way that we promote the gospel we share the life-giving power of jesus with the world We're only doing a disservice if we say to people Well, you've got a good life, but your life could be even a little bit better if you had jesus in it We do people a disservice if we say hey, if you just get a little bit of god Everything's going to be easy. Everything's going to be comfortable. You'll be happy That's not the words of jesus Jesus says That unless we're willing to leave behind absolutely everything else Then we can't be his disciples He he says I want you to come and follow me. I'm inviting you into this life this kingdom living follower of jesus Hope of eternal life. But what i'm asking you to give up is everything everything else leave it all behind Turn to luke chapter 14 I, I want you to hear this directly from our lord jesus Not just from me. I want you to hear this from the Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. This is not said to three men at a fishing dock. This is not said to 12 men behind closed doors. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He has has arrived. He he has gotten to the point where his ministry has grown. He's got thousands upon thousands of people coming to listen to him. Right? So, this is the point where the modern-day preacher is tempted to just kind of water down the gospel message. This this is the the point where the the modern-day televangelist and I'm not picking on anyone in particular... But, but this is the point where you, you see certain individuals and they say, Well, I'm not going to use the word sin. Or I'm not actually going to challenge people with this. I'm going to start, start uh, altering and changing the, the message. Let's see what Jesus does. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 large crowds are traveling with him, turning to them. This is what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. He goes on there to to teach. He says, whoever doesn't carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. The cross was an instrument of death. The cross was a method of execution. Verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you've enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. They'll say, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Another example, verse 31, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able... He'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off. He'll ask for terms of peace. And in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. He's saying you count the cost. Just like you check the price tags at the supermarket. (laughs) You count the cost. And for some of us, we're like, Jesus wants me to give up everything? Because I've been hearing the idea, even in Christian circles, that Jesus wants me to be happy. Well, show me that Bible verse, by the way, that says Jesus just wants you to be happy, where you then justify your actions and your choices and even things that are sinful You know, Herod going, well, if the Lord wants me to be happy, Herodias makes me happy. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, just consider if you want to give up absolutely everything this side of eternity. And if not, well, it's not possible for you to be my disciple. We're not compatible unless you're willing to walk away from all of that. You know, we need people... To stop saying they're Christians. And is that because my heart is for the kingdom to shrink and not expand? No, of course not. I want the kingdom to expand. But with people who are following Jesus all in. People need to stop calling themselves Christians. Because what we have is people calling themselves Christians. Who have one foot in the world and one foot uh, dabbling with a little bit of God and Jesus in their life. But if they would read Luke 14... They would hear the words of our Lord Jesus saying, no, 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 no. You can't be my disciple. You've made your choice. You get the world. You get to pursue pleasures, comfort, luxuries, riches. All all those things that the world says are going to be meaningful and satisfactory. That's what you get. That's your reward. But if you want the heavenly reward and the eternal reward and the blessed life of knowing Jesus, then he says, you just have to say that's all gone, right? You, you saw the verbiage that he uses here where he says hatred toward family members. And this is a difficult passage. I'm not in any way saying this is, this is really easy because Jesus tends to say things that are confusing and disorienting. Part of the reason they're so confusing and disorienting is because we're used to an Americanized Christianity that has lied to us saying, life is about you being happy. And if you would pursue ease and comfort, then life would be good. That's not the message of Jesus. His life ended on a cross. John the Baptist was beheaded in a dirty prison cell. So Jesus is saying, stop slinging around my name. When you're still dabbling in the things of the world and when your heart still flutters at the thought of the new car the new house The relationship He says you've got to say goodbye to all of that and walk Into my kingdom with nothing Because jesus plus nothing equals everything You see for those who understand the value of christ in the gospel It's like this is no comparison This is not a big sacrifice. This is not even our very life. This is not a big comparison. The Apostle Paul teaches us this in Philippians 3 and verse 8. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Because here's the reality. When you're comparing the things of this world to the things of the kingdom, you're comparing things that are eternal with things that are temporal. Things that are going to fade away and be gone. The vices, the comforts and luxuries of this life. The ones that keep so many people from Jesus will one day be gone. All oh, but the abundant life in Christ, known by him and knowing him, that life begins now and it lasts forever. John the Baptist had counted the cost. He knew that his life was on the line. He knew it the day he uh, proclaimed that Herod was sinful and was thrown into the prison. But see, for him, dying for the sake of the gospel was way more important than living for himself or anything else. And yet I hear time and time again people that just seem astonished, shocked, when in our nation... Christian belief and practice are not being accepted, are not being promoted. We live in a culture that does not recognize God, that does not choose Jesus as Lord. And how twisted, even that in some of our evangelical Christian subculture, as I've already mentioned three times, we have the wrong message saying it's about your happiness. It's not about your happiness. Living for jesus will put you on the margins Living for jesus will put you in persecution Living out your convictions and the truth that you know the purpose that god has for your life might mean the end of your life But that's okay We should expect it We're not facing hardcore persecution in our country right now And I even often wonder what is more difficult for you and I? Is it to die for Christ or is it to live for him? Maybe grapple with that in your Sunday school class. Which is more difficult, to die for Christ or to live for Christ? 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to look at a few verses there. Peter says very bluntly, as we would expect, he says, "Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you." He's like, "When you live for Jesus, this is what happens. Why are you surprised? When you when you choose Christ above your relationships, above all else, why are you surprised when people mock you or ridicule you?" I think we need to get over the sort of growing hostility to the to the gospel in our nation. We should embrace it. Yeah, we're different. Yeah, Jesus' kingdom, it's not of this world. So often, we operate in what I call self-preservation mode. That's individually, but that's also corporately. We want to preserve our way. I think unless we get out of self-preservation mode, we're never going to fully live out that hope that we have of God's ultimate restoration. That... Sometimes it actually takes the refining fire of persecution to shape the church into what God wants it to be. There are examples the globe over of that happening. So Peter tells us to actually be glad when we're suffering. So 1 Peter chapter 4 next verse 13 he says rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And you go, rejoice? Be glad? When we're being insulted, when we're being persecuted for our faith, it doesn't make sense to us. In our culture, joy and grief are incompatible. But for the believer, for the kingdom-minded one, the two go together. We grieve when difficulty comes, yes, but we have joy. We don't take joy in our circumstances. We take joy because of Christ. We take joy despite our circumstances. We have joy because of Jesus, and Jesus is eternal. So the joy we have cannot be removed. It's not temporal. Jesus is not going away. He's not like the shifting shadow. He he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Jesus says that he's actually coming back. We find ourselves at a point in human history where Jesus has come, Jesus has gone back to the Father, and Jesus will come again. And so we are eagerly awaiting his sure return. And those of us who have walked away from everything else and said, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. And so my relationship with my mom and dad and wife and brothers and sisters, that's going to look like hatred compared to my love for you. And the luxuries and comforts of the world, I forsake those and consider those rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And for those who do that, it's an eternity in paradise So suffering This side of eternity It doesn't extinguish our joy So stop being martyrs When you get picked on When you made, are made fun of when, when you even see in our broader culture That our Christian values isn't being celebrated Or promoted Rejoice Because we are living out the convictions That God has laid on our hearts And we will do so for his glory and for those who endure, it will never end. I do want to invite you, by the way, when we conclude our service, our prayer team will be available this morning. You know, maybe you're at a point where you've been lured into the things the world has, has uh, lied to you about. Maybe you're at a point where you're like, well, I've been saying I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure I'm really all in with Jesus. Maybe you have a burden that you're carrying, but I would invite you to come. We would be honored to minister to you, to pray with you, to just go before God's throne of grace together, lifting up those needs. And then one more verse in 1 Peter 4, verse 14. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, Peter says, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Blessing flows to those who suffer for the sake of Christ. God's blessings are all around us. You know, too often we equate the blessing with, well, I got the promotion. The the things worked out in my favor. I'm blessed. No, no. We are blessed when we call on the name of the Lord and he hears us. We are blessed when life becomes so overwhelming that we just can't stand it anymore. And we fall helplessly on God's throne of grace. And in that place, Christ holds us. We are blessed when in our weakness, he is strong. We are blessed, the scriptures say, when we're insulted, when we're mistreated. But we respond with kindness. And oh, yes, don't make any mistakes about it. We are blessed because at the end of the age, our names will be found in the Lamb's book of life. We will be welcomed into eternal paradise to live with the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So don't get bogged down by the hardships on earth. Count them as an opportunity to grow. So this morning, as we talk about the cost of discipleship and leaving all for the sake of Christ, take heart. Be encouraged. Yes, there is a cost of discipleship, but it is worth it. It's worth it. Christ is worth it. The eternal reward is worth it. When we're suffering... Sometimes we we wonder, is this pain ever going to end? Yes, it will. Yes, it will. For those of us who place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our suffering will indeed end. So no more compromises. Live with conviction and count the cost. John the Baptist was this voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord and calling each and every one of us to live for Christ. So I want to close the sermon series and I want to close the sermon this morning with the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, We thank you for revealing to us your master plan of salvation that has unfolded in the coming of the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the life of John the Baptist, his testimony, his miraculous birth and his powerful ministry and even his sacrificial death that foreshadows the death of Jesus on the cross. And so, Lord, today, we confess freely that we need you. We confess to
0: something in our
1: hearts that wants to be comfortable and have a life of ease and luxury. And so, Lord, would you help us by your Holy Spirit to see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus? That we would choose the path of discipleship, leaving all else behind. Thank you, God, for your grace. We pray for courage today to live out the purpose and calling you've given each one of us. Bless us, O oh God. Strengthen us, give us endurance to face persecution and hardship and insult for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your kingdom that you would be the one exalted and magnified. Oh Lord, you must become greater and we must become less. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
0: Amen.